Happy New Year and welcome to the American Research Center in Egypt's podcast. Each month we will bring you the latest findings in Egyptological research and host engaging discussions about fascinating topics in Egyptian cultural heritage. Each of our guests are world-renowned scholars in the fields of Egyptology, Islamic, Coptic, and modern Egyptian history, archaeology, and much more. To suggest a topic for this program, please visit us at podcast.rc.org. We are also available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy this episode, you can find out more about our other programs and activities, including virtual lectures and tours, by visiting our website at rc.org. That's A-R-C-E dot org. You can also support our work by joining our mailing list, becoming a member, or donating to support this podcast. This month's podcast will begin our Kingship in Ancient Egypt series, and will focus on the Old Kingdom, and will feature Dr. Yasmin El-Shazli, RC's Deputy Director for Research and Programs. Programs in conversation with our guest, Dr. Miroslav Barta, who is professor at Charles University in Prague at the Czech Institute of Egyptology. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy this episode. We are very pleased to have with us today Professor Miroslav Barta, who will be talking to us about kingship during the Egyptian Old Kingdom. Professor Barta is a Czech Egyptologist and archaeologist who studied for his PhD in both Prague and Hamburg between 1994 and 1997 and has been professor of Egyptology at Charles University Prague since 2009. In 2011, he was appointed director of the Czech excavations at the Abusir Pyramid Field. Since 2016, he has been the director of the Czech Institute of Egyptology in Prague. Professor Barta specializes in the archaeology and history of the third millennium BC. He authored and co-authored more than 20 monographs and collective volumes and over a hundred scientific papers. Thank you so much, Professor Barta, for accepting our invitation today. Thank you for having me. In popular culture, Pharaoh is often portrayed as a ruthless ruler who enslaved his people. As an Egyptologist with in-depth knowledge of ancient Egyptian history and culture, can you please talk to us about the most prominent roles of an ancient Egyptian king? Um, it's a pleasure. Um, indeed, uh, as you indicated, this um, has been a very popular concept that is coming from the study of the Bible. Actually, Egyptian archaeology itself uh, became uh, popular before the discovery of the King Tut's tomb due to the biblical stories that were related to ancient Egypt. Founder of Egyptian archaeology, Flinders Petrie and many others before and after him came to Egypt to excavate sites that were related very closely to the Bible and the Old Testament. In, rea in reality, the truths may be different. Obviously, there were strong and uh, despotic kings or rulers. But at the same time, there were also kings, as we know from the written sources, that were venerated and in later times um, remembered for decades or even centuries. If um, we are to talk about the most prominent and um, general roles of ancient Egyptian kings, similar to, mm -hmm. for instance, to Maya or Zapotec civilizations, which are very close to the US, I may uh, mention uh, three basic characteristics. The king, on the symbolical level, was supposed to reinforce the preordained world and cosmic order, to link himself with the royal ancestors and divine beings, and to legitimize the right to rule with deeds appropriate to royalty and um, his divine status. 
At the same time, however, we have contemporary written and iconographic sources originating from the Old Kingdom pertaining to the definition of Old Kingdom kingship, which indicate that the ancient Egyptian king was considered to be godly creature, begotten by the god Ra, guarantor and keeper of order and country's unity and prosperity, which means he was the only guarantor of natural cycle in the nature and the world order which came into being as a consequence of the act of creation by the gods. He was obviously mediator between the ordinary mortal people and the gods, and messenger and executor of the gods' will and instructions. And um, last but not least, we may not forget that uh, uh, this is the general characterization of the official dogma of the divine kingship of the old kingdom king. But at the same time, uh, the Egyptians themselves knew very well that king was at the same time a mortal creature. And therefore, especially from the 6th dynasty, we have several sources indicating um, that there were harem conspiracies uh, orientated against the king or even attempts to assassinate the king. So this is to start with our discussion today. This is very fascinating material. Uh, the divinity of the king is also it has always uh, fascinated me because the idea that the king was a god, but at the same time he was mortal and vulnerable, uh, as you pointed out. It is commonly believed that the pyramids were built by forced labor. Uh, how true is this idea? Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, uh, another very complicated issue, to be frank. For sure, uh, people um, had to be brought to one spot and organized to perform specific activities on the construction side. Um, text or Old Kingdom texts of the period show that there were royal officials who traveled the country and collected people for special expeditions organized by the crown. So there were groups of conscripts coming from all possible uh, corners of the country down to Aswan, and in some cases, including e even Lover Nubia. Most likely, if we talk about really the biggest, uh, largest scale construction site attested from the Old Kingdom, which is obviously Giza Pyramid Field, we can say that these people had to be collected all over the country and brought to a pyramid city that was discovered years ago by my friend and colleague, Mark Lehner, uh, to the southeast of the uh, pyramids. There, the city was constructed to house at least five, maybe 10,000 people who were receiving regular provisions, uh, um, enjoyed housing, and worked on, uh, on a daily basis on the construction of the pyramids. So, uh, I wouldn't say it was a forced labor, but it was a labor organized by the state. And you, as an Egyptian participating in it, you were receiving payment in kind. And this is very important uh, part of the general story of the old kingdom, because we, came, we think that there was a king separated from the rest of the population and the population itself. But in fact, there was a very important um, relationship between the ruling elite and the rest of the, of the Egyptian population. We call it even today social contract, which is the way, the manner how the ruling elite um, coordinates or shares 
the the uh, the profits of the country with uh, with the with the population. And by building these state-sponsored um, projects, the king shared um, significant wealth of the country with the population because this population depended on these construction sites in terms that they were receiving payments and these payments they use not only to feed them themselves but also to bring it back to their families uh, most frequent payment beer jars with beer and we know from the market scenes uh, featuring on the on the walls of um, many uh, non-royal tombs that these beer jars were then taken by these people workers craftsmen etc to the local markets and exchanged for some other things they had a generally accepted value economic value so they were used as a pre-monetary means to pay for some other goods so the social maintaining social contract was very important and in this um, in this uh, relationship, the king was equally important as the population. So they were definitely not slaves. They were paid. Uh, yes, I, I definitely believe they were not slaves. And even um, Pierre Talley, another esteemed friend and colleague, discovered several years ago um, in, the, in the caves uh, at the Red Sea, um, uh, the, the, not only, not only uh, parts of the boats that were used to traverse the Red Sea towards the Sinai, but also um, the logbooks of the steward mayor who describes how he and uh, his people operated a ship that was um, regularly uh, bringing stones from uh, Tura quarries on the, eastern, on the eastern bank of the Nile to the, to the harbor of Khufu in front of the Giza pyramids and how he was sending people to Heliopolis to bring uh, bread um, and um, uh, food and other staples for his people. So I definitely believe, I'm convinced that there, were, there was um, no slavery in the old kingdom. And if, then only very, very limited, very limit, in a very limited way. Wow, this, this is truly interesting. What role did the elite and high officials play in, in the perpetuation and upkeep of kingship? When dealing with this set of um, questions or issues, we have to bear in mind that the old kingdom lasted almost half a millennia. Joser, the founder of the Third Dynasty, built his pyramid complex uh, during the 27th century, and the terminal stage uh, of the Old Kingdom is dated or placed into the 22nd century, so we can uh, really feel the, the depths of time in front of us, you know, at least five or six centuries. And this is very important because if we talk about the elites, about high officials, we, we have to use a concept that applies to the third and fourth dynasty on one side and to the fifth and sixth dynasties on the other side. Why I'm saying this, um, down to the end of the fourth dynasty, um, ancient Egypt uh, or ancient Egyptian state was run uh, by a very limited number of people. Most of them uh, were belonging to the, directly to the royal family. There were royal princes that during the first and second dynasties built their tombs in North Saqqara during the third and fourth dynasty. Um, uh, members of the royal family were buried um, either um, in Saqqara during the third dynasty or during the fourth dynasty around the great pyramids of Giza, whereby the complexity of the state was growing in time. By the end of the fourth dynasty, say by the end, or sometime during the uh, 25th, uh, 25th uh, century BC, uh, the complexity was so high that the king 
that the administration um, had to look for different means how to run the country. That was highly complicated organism. You had to um, control a territory starting on the north, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and ending um, at least uh, at Asuan if we don't, if we decide to not to include Lover Nubia. So it's a stretch that is almost um, 1,000 1, kilometers long. And for this, you need um, sophisticated, highly trained, educated body of officials. And the complexity was such that at the beginning of the fifth dynasty, the king had to make a very important decision to let into the administration, including the highest echelons of the administration, people of non-royal origin because he needed to increase the number of efficient um, of efficient administrators and the fifth and sixth dynasty is a completely different story because the royal family uh, started to um, step aside. The king obviously was at the top of the pyramid, both symbolically and in reality. Uh, but at the same time, there was a huge group of high officials that uh, had a non-royal origin. And uh, this largely changed the political landscape of ancient Egypt because these high officials, as, we, as they proceeded in time uh, during the 5th and 6th dynasty, started to usurp more and more power in the state. And during the mid of the 5th dynasty, typically during the reign of New Sarah, we can observe that these high officials start to build huge mastabas that in many ways um, are similar to uh, mortuary temples of the ruling kings. They uh, start to develop a very strong tendency towards nepotism, which means that these high officials were sending their their sons, uh, the second generations in the family, to uh, follow in the footsteps of their fathers. So the, the officials stop to be awarded according to your education or your abilities, but you were um, your primary your connections. Uh, your primary, <laughs> exactly, uh-huh. authorization was coming from the connections. And this is one of many reasons why I say that Egyptology or archaeology, which works with um, long data ranges, is highly political because it reveals and describes processes that we can easily identify also in our modern societies. You are listening to the official podcast of the American Research Center in Egypt. More information about our operations and programs can be found at rc.org. And if you would like to support the RC podcast, please visit arce.org slash podcast. Now we'll go back to our episode with Dr. Miroslav Barta. I have a question related to what you said about the fifth and the sixth dynasties. The step pyramid in Saqqara and the three pyramids of Giza are the most famous. And most people do not know anything about the smaller rubble-filled pyramids of the fifth and sixth dynasties, the interiors of which were inscribed with pyramid texts. Can you please talk to us about the reason behind the changes in pyramid architecture and decoration? And if this reflects uh, changes in royal ideology, I will do it with a pleasure. Um, if I take the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth dynasties one after another, I would uh, characterize them um, with regard to the pyramid complexes in the following way. If you take Djoser, for instance, third dynasty, um, his complex shows architecture of explicit forms and statements because 
his whole complex is imitating his um, palace in the Nile Valley. During the fourth dynasty, what we have in front of us uh, is what I would call overwhelming monumentality, just a brutal force of monumental forms of gigantic stones that explicitly demonstrates your su superiority, your uh, top authority, your divine status. In the fifth dynasty, uh, they, uh, they appear to uh, move towards architecture of more sophisticated symbolism. In the fifth dynasty, the sheer size of the pyramid doesn't matter that much anymore. What becomes of primary importance is the elaborate mortuary complex as a whole, which means the valley temple, the uh, cosme, and the mortuary temple. Um, unlike in the fourth dynasty, where uh, these um, elements are minimally decorated in the fifth dynasty. The, the, just the sheer area of decorate, decorated walls rises steeply. And um, Sahura, for instance, in, com in, um, in contrast to the fourth dynasty, our mortuary complexes features perhaps five times more decoration than only several decades before. And by the way, the royal complex of Sahura is, is the complex from which we have the largest collection of royal reliefs from the third millennium BC. So is the symbolism, is the decoration, is the sophistication of individual architectural elements that tell you the whole story of the king of the king uh, passing from the sphere of the earthly existence towards his uh, divine dwelling. And in the sixth dynasty, I would uh, call the sixth dynasty a period of elaboration or elaborate encoding through the pyramid text that are being put on the walls um, of, of the interior in, interior of the pyramid, accompanied by the struggle for um, the authority of the king. So in the third dynasty, it's an explicit, uh, explicit architecture of um, telling forms, telling you a story of the king. Fourth dynasty is uh, just a sheer monumentality. Fifth and sixth dynasty is the focus on the pyramid um, complex decoration, while the, the pyramids itself do not matter so much anymore. And from the reign of Unas, which is the last king of the fifth dynasty, we have additional story, which is the story of the pyramid decks, the, the texts that were um, composed and brought in, into the pyramid to facilitate the departure of the king from the burial chamber towards the sky when he joined uh, the other gods, including his, uh, his father, Ra. So it was for the Egyptians, it was not so important to build a big pyramid because the size uh, didn't matter anymore so much. So I, I believe that they should all be uh, seen as equally impressive in different ways. Yes, imagine that you have a certain amount of energy and you can use this either to spend it on the monumental, gigantic construction of the pyramid itself, or you invest it into a more sophisticated things like decoration, carving of uh, beautifully um, executed reliefs, texts, uh, putting in uh, different forms of encoded messages for the priests serving in the in the in the mortuary cult of the king, and so on and so forth. So. It's, it was uh, old kingdom was period of different strategies, all, and this applies also for the strategies uh, preferred by the by the royal authority.
Okay, you mentioned that by the end of the Old Kingdom, high officials were usurping power, and you have high officials also employing people who are well-connected to them. So I assume that this led one was one of the factors that led to the decline of the Old Kingdom. What other reasons are there for the decline of the state at the end of the Sixth Dynasty? And what, what role did the king play in this decline? You mentioned part of the story um, quite, um, uh, quite precisely. It was, there were some, well, what, what I would say first and foremost on the, in, in the very, at the very beginning is that there applies no silver bullet rule. There is no single factors, no single factors that we could use to explain the overall uh, collapse or uh, decline of the old kingdom. Um, as you mentioned, it was the rise of high officials um, who, among other things, initiated also the so-called status race, emulation of the status. Typically, uh, during the fourth dynasty um, or during the third dynasty, it was only the king who was building um, his monument, mortuary monument, um, completely out of stone. And step by step, the high officials said, oh, I would love to have a stone-built chapel as well. And so they, a couple of decades later, they overtook the uh, the stone architecture. In the 5th dynasty, in the reign of Neustera, which is the appearance of monumental tombs like Ptachshepses in Abusir, the tomb of T in Sakara, and later tombs of Kagemni, Ptahotep, Meruka. So all this starts exactly in the, in the reign of Neustera, when these high officials said, oh, we love the idea of having a, a multi-roomed a mortuary complex, and they start to use open courts and magazines and east-west orientated chapels associated before this period exclusively with the king, and so on and so on. Force even red granite sarcophagi, for instance. We have by the end of the fifth dynasty, we have the pyramid text, and obviously during the sixth dynasty. These pyramid texts, again, formally associated exclusively only with the king, become usurped first by several queens of Pepi I, Pepi II, and even later on by high officials of the first intermediate peer. So this is what I mean in brief by the uh, status race, uh, overtaking of uh, formerly exclusive privileges of, of the king by, uh, by the elite of the country. Um, we have... During the 5th and 6th dynasty, we can observe an incredible rise of bureaucracy in numbers of uh, officials uh, taking, uh, participating in the, state, um, 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 in, the, in the state administration. And of, of course, these officials required payments. So uh, the, the pressure on the, on the state treasury was increasing. Mandatory expenses were increasing. You had this um, risely expo- um, widely exploding uh, tendency towards nepotism in combination with one important external factor, which we call even today climate change. This climate change was, had a severe impact on the late um, fifth and sixth dynasty history. Because we know that already in the fifth dynasty, the, the annual Nile flood was becoming lower and lower. And obviously, Nile flood was limiting the amount of collected taxes that were originating from the agriculture. And if the taxes were diminishing and the mandatory expenses rising, the number of bureaucrats rising, 
you can see that there was a, 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 a huge contrast that was rising as they proceeded in time. Um, and at the end, the king, don't forget that the king was considered to be a godly creature ruling the country. And if you are a god, you are obviously expected to take care of your population, of your subjects. You are supposed to be the exclusive factor that maintains the social contract. If you fail to do so, obviously the king failed to do so because he had very low taxes, very low income from the annual taxes by the end of the old kingdom. He was not in a position to maintain the high complexity to which the Egyptians were used um, in the case before the end of the old kingdom. And ultimately, um, his divine status was becoming more and more compromised. And at the end, the king lost his legitimacy. That is really interesting. If you look at that, um, it's very simple to observe it. You have a, a huge bag of different factors that were mutually enforcing the negative impact of each other. The compromised legitimacy of the divine status of the king on the symbolic level, um, the nepotism, the interest groups of high officials, um, and uh, the declining, declining or diminishing taxes. And all this together was a ticking bomb that during the 22nd dynasty BC brought uh, the old kingdom uh, era of the pyramid builders to a, a bitter end. Well, on that note, we will end our uh, podcast. And uh, thank you very much, Professor Barta, for a very interesting and thought-provoking discussion. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RC Podcast, and many thanks to Dr. Miroslav Barta for kicking off our Kingship in Ancient Egypt series. Please join us next month for our next podcast, where we will be continuing our series with the Middle Kingdom with our guest, Dr. Steve Harvey. Please visit our website at www.rc.org for more information, or contact us at podcast at rc.org. Again, we are also available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.